I'm very fond of Thomas Merton, as you, many of you know anyway. Uh, and if you don't know, I have read to you from Thomas Merton a number of times at the beginning of our worship time in uh, Centering Prayer. Uh, this is um, a piece from the very last part of his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. I've read you a part of it before, uh, but I'm reading a different part of it now because it's a long little section. Uh, but it invites us, um, it invites us to think about uh, who we are, where we fit into the bigger picture, and why we matter. I hope that you heard the words that Linda read to you from Psalm 139, the psalm that says how valuable uh, each of you are, how loved each of you are, how shaped by God from the very beginning each of you are, that there was never a time, I would say in the last 14.6 billion years that God did not anticipate your arrival. Since before the Big Bang, God imagined you just as you are. And when you came into physical being, it was so God could love you because God loves matter. God loves things. Matter matters. So I would like to share this piece um, uh, from Thomas Merton, New Seeds of Contemplation. The presence of God in God's world as its creator depends on no one but God. His presence in the world as human, in some measure, depends upon us. Not that we can do anything to change the mystery of the incarnation itself, but we are able to decide whether we ourselves and that portion of the world which is ours shall become aware of God's presence, consecrated by that presence, transfigured in its light. We have the choice, each of us, of two identities. The, eternal, the external mask, which seems to be real, and which lives by a shadow autonomy for the brief moment of earthly existence. Or the hidden inner person that seems to us to be nothing, but who can give uh, him or herself eternally to the truth in whom he subsists. It is this inner self that is taken up in the mystery of Christ by his love, by the Holy Spirit, so that in secret we live in Christ. Yet we must not deal in too negative a fashion even with the external self. The self that is not by nature evil and the fact that it is unsubstantial is not to be imputed as some kind of crime. It is afflicted with metaphysical poverty. Every once in a while I read these and I think, why am I reading this out loud? <laughs> People are like, metaphysical poverty? What the heck is the boy talking about? Well, just hang in there. But all that is poor deserves mercy. So too our outward self. As long as it does not isolate itself in a lie, it is blessed by the mercy and love of Christ. 
I'd like for us to ponder before I get to the sermon, uh, the message for this morning. Uh, yes, I'm bringing down my iPad because, uh, uh, no, my sermon is not on the iPad. I, I couldn't, I don't know what I would do if I tried to put the sermon on the iPad, uh, mostly because if I did, I, I'm sure there would be some insanity that I would lose, and then I would try to stick to a, an order, and we all know, and when I st try to stick to an order, there's just no chance. It's got to be the chaos of the moment. Um, I want to share with you an, an, one more scripture, and then there's a scripture that actually applies to our uh, um, message this morning. All of them are going to be tied together, I hope. But this one I want to share with you is from 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Now, I just want to set the scene for you. This is the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah has been called of God. He has shown over and over again how great God is. And he's just had a big competition. I, I really, it's a little challenging to me, but he's just had a big competition with the prophets from a whole nother religion. And he has won big time. But then the queen, Jezebel, uh, was a worshiper of those, that other God. And so she wants to kill Elijah. And so Elijah, the servant of the great God, who gave him victory before, runs away into the desert. And essentially, for two chapters of the, you know, the book of Kings, is a whiner. Uh, oh God, it's only me. I'm the only faithful one. Oh, woe is me. It's terrible, terrible. See? Expectations set you up for failure, I guess. You know, I don't know what he expected, you know, but it wasn't what it was. So then he hears this voice from God, beginning in verse 11. God says to him, leave this cave, that's where he's hiding, by the way, and go stand on the mountainside in my presence. Then the eternal passed by him. The mighty winds separated the mountains and crumbled every stone before the eternal. This was not a divine wind, for the eternal was not within this wind. After the wind passed, though, an earthquake shook the earth. This was not a divine quake, for the eternal was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake was over, there was a fire. This was not a divine fire, for the eternal was not within this fire. After the fire died out, there was nothing but the sound of a calm breeze. And, though this, uh, and through this gentle breeze, a gentle, quiet voice entered into Elijah's heart and ears. He covered his face with his cloak and went to the mouth of the cave. Suddenly, Elijah was surprised. And God said to him, why are you here, Elijah? What is it that you desire? Now, I want you to go on a little trip in your mind with me for a moment, because as we prepare to center ourselves, um, I think one of the challenges, and I'm discovering, that you can be anywhere and be centered. You can be anywhere and be grounded. Sure, I like to be sitting in my quiet chair at home with no distractions whatsoever, but as soon as I imagine there are no distractions, then uh, I will hear something, 
just outside, uh, just outside my window. And it will, um, and, and those sounds are sounds. And yet they're the sounds of nature. So we expect in the sounds of nature that, uh, of course, God is in the natural world in some way or other. We experience those birds singing. Some, some of you actually will go into the parks and take a long walk, or you will take your tent. Um, I was told this morning, I, I ran into Nate in the neighborhood. Nate and, and Tamara and the two girls are going, uh, they're not here today, because they've gone camping. This weekend, they've gone camping to Pohick, Bay and uh, close by, so if they have to escape, they can just drive home. Uh, but in, uh, in the interim, they've gone into nature. And for many of us, that connection with God feels like it happens in a unique way in nature. When we are there, when we're with God in this pristine cathedral that unrolls before us. But what about, say, for instance, oh, when you're standing on the uh, station platform at a metro. Or what about, uh, what about when you hear a church bell in the distance? Does that bring you in contact with God? Maybe the sound of a thunderstorm rolling in. Maybe the sound of rain is that pure sound that you're used to. What about if you go to the shopping mall? Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Where is the place that you can go to escape the presence of God? Where is the place that you can go where God isn't already? When you hear a jackhammer outside your building, what is your first thought? How deeply irritating it is and how that gets on your nerves. And for some of you, it goes right up your spine and you feel the pain of it the whole time. But what if God's in the creative process that happens with jackhammer? What if God's in the clouds that roll over you as you hear the jackhammering sound? What about on the street corner in New York when all that you can hear is buses honking and people talking and, and cars driving by and slamming on their brakes? As you hear all of those things, is God there? Because the thing is, God's everywhere. And for us cultivating the realization, now I've never been in the heat of battle, but I can only imagine that in the heat of battle, God's in that too. There is no place you can go, not in the hospital, at the side of someone dying, not to a cemetery. And this is a perfect weekend for cemeteries. We remember those who laid down their lives, who died for us. Memorial Day. In the midst of all of those places, God is. So one of the things I want to invite us to do today, uh, as I bring the message and as we breathe, 
because we're going to do that before I bring the message. I, I want you to imagine for a moment that God is with, with you in algebra class. Uh, God's with you in your car, on a walk, in your house, on a plane, on a train, on a boat, in loud places, in quiet places. God is always there because suddenly if God inhabits everything, then you can experience God anywhere. And it's no longer, I go to church on Sunday morning so I can connect with God. This may be a more intense place to connect with God. I, I hope it might be an intense place. But if you come to expect that the only place you'll meet God is in this building, then chances are this will be the only place you ever meet God. And you'll miss all those birds singing. Uh, or when a bumblebee buzzes by your ear, as distracting as that is, it's off to do its business. All of those sounds are a reminder that God is in, but not the same as, everything around us all the time. In this podium, even in my iPad. God is in my iPad, but not my iPad. God is in me, but not me. But I'm not separate from God either, nor are you. So as we uh, take this moment, I want to encourage you to do that thing we do, breathe. You've been doing it since you were born. You do it automatically. You take it for granted. And yet every breath is grace. It's a gift. Imagine with me for a moment as you breathe in that it's God breathing that first breath of life in, in the story of Adam. God shapes us out of clay. It's a wonderful story. And then breathes life into us. Every breath you take in is God breathing life into you one more time. And then you release it. And then you breathe that life out into the world you live in. So we breathe in and we breathe out. So let's do it. We've been doing it, but we're going to be mindful of doing it right now. So in and out. And in and out. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you are here with us always. And by here, that's wherever we are. Right now, many of us are here, here as in physically here at St. James in this building on the west end of Alexandria. Some of us are online joining us from far distant places. Some of us will be watching this sometime later on, uh, next week, next year, next month. Uh, those are all times that don't exist yet. But this moment does. And in this moment, you are here with us. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to experience that presence. And in this moment, to know the love that you have for each one of us. Oh God, we ask it through the power of your spirit that blows where it will. In the name of your son, Jesus. I want to read to you a piece of uh, um, 
Well, before I read you the scripture, I'll, you know, I always tell you a story. So I will tell you a story. I just picked this story while I was standing here, so we'll see how that story turns out. Usually I at least rehearse it once in my mind. Uh, so last night, uh, I was, uh, we, Linda and I got invited to some neighbor's houses for a, a cookout yesterday. So we went to, uh, uh, we walked over. Linda knows these folks from walking dogs. So, uh, and you know, you meet all sorts of people when walking dogs. People that say, pet my dog, even though the dog bites you on the hand when you pet it, uh, which I discovered the other day on Friday. Uh, you know, sure you can pet my dog. <laughs> oh, yes, there we go. I felt those teeth. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're in his mouth. I counted them. I can show you the imprints, but they're gone. Um, but we meet all sorts of interesting people, and these are really cool people, and they invited us over for a cookout yesterday. So we went over for a cookout. We're sitting around the table and hanging out. And I came back, and, you know, it started at 2.30, and, you know, you never know how long those things are going to last. In my mind, you know, my expectation was 4.30, we would have eaten, we would come home, you know, I would have some time to sit some more with the scripture. Well, 4.30 comes and goes, 5.30 comes and goes, 6.30 comes and goes, 7 o'clock comes, and we walk home. Um, and I have this sudden thought, because I knew James and Megan were on vacation this weekend, as well they should be, everybody should get a vacation. I think you hope you all take vacation sometimes yourselves. Um, but they were on vacation, so I, I knew that Grayson, not this Grayson, uh, but the other Grayson, James had imagined that that Grayson would come and accompany Eric and I to sing some normal songs that we were used to singing. So I just offhandedly decided, I just want to confirm this, so I'll text James and see if that's really the plan. It's what it says in planning center, but you know, just be sure. So James says, uh, he'll check. Well, I don't hear back from James for a while, and I've set down my phone, and then I set down my Apple Watch, which tells me when I get a call, unless it's on the charger, <laughs> somewhere else in the house. And then it doesn't tell me anything at all. So James calls me in the, not this James, I didn't call myself, although I do sometimes. James Donnelly called me, uh, and he left a message. I did not see the message until 5 o'clock this morning, when I got up to sit in my centering prayer chair. The centering, during that moment, you know, I was living into a certain expectation for worship today. What would happen, how it would happen, would roll those punches, everything would go just the way originally, originally I had it in my mind. And of course, I listened to James's message, and James's message told me that no, Grayson was not coming today, and that we would be doing something else. That would be fine. And I knew it would be fine, so I just began to rethink what would happen in our experience today. I did realize that James, not James, but Jesus, uh, we're not the same people, um, that Jesus was able to walk from place to place. People came to hear him. They experienced the presence of God. And he did not travel with the band. Do you know that there was not like a backup band, Jesus and the disciples? He had a band of guys, but I don't think any of them could even, you know, I think they were tone deaf. So I don't know, okay, I don't want to put anything. I could be really facing some challenges when I meet Peter at the pearly gates. Well, James, uh, I was really sliding along with you until that Sunday you said I was tone deaf. And I'll have you know, I have perfect pitch. Uh, so in any case, I, I said, you know, they will, there will be an expectation of certain things this morning. 
But we all live with whatever comes into our lives. We have to deal with what happens. And this is just another opportunity for us to deal with those realities. So in a way, unlike me from five years ago, <laughs> where I, I would have come in and half the hair would be missing from this side of my head because I would have pulled it all out uh, and uh, you know I would look bleary-eyed and everything, I'm not worried because I know God's here with us today. And I see God in your faces. So rolling with God and expecting that God will show up no matter what happens in our lives. I mean, I hope, I, I hope you saw and thought about those words. I say them every morning when I get up and as I go to sleep every night, the words of the welcoming prayer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. Because whatever rises in me when I meet it teaches me something about who I am. And sometimes it teaches me something about who God is. If I see a person coming towards me and I find myself tensing up, what does that say about me? That I have some anticipation of who that person is. It doesn't say anything about who the person is. It says everything about who I am. So it's an opportunity to learn, to roll with the punches, to let go of my need. It's not a need, my desire for power and control, my desire for esteem, affection, approval, and pleasure, my, uh, my need or desire for security and uh, survival, and my desire to change situations, conditions, persons, or myself, because my desire to change it doesn't change it at all. The only one that can change me is God. I can't even change me. I can make some different choices in my life, but that doesn't change me. That changes what I do. So as I thought about that, I had intended for our message this morning, and it still is, for us to talk about the question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And see, it's a good question. Now, for his disciples, this really cool dude that called me to leave my job and walk around, you know, and I'm walking around and learning stuff, you know, that, uh, you know, who else? The eternal Christ, what does that mean for you? Who cares? Why does it matter? Well, for me it matters, and I found a piece of scripture that for me really teaches me why it matters. And this is not in the Gospels. This is from Colossians chapter 1. It's a letter Paul wrote, and it begins with verse 15. It's an early Christian hymn. So yes, maybe Jesus did travel with the band. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe they just sang a cappella. I don't know. This is speaking of Jesus. He is the exact image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the eternal. It was by him that everything was created, the heavens, the earth, all things within and upon the earth, all things seen and unseen, thrones and dominions, spiritual powers and authorities. Every detail was crafted through his design by his own hands and for his purposes. He has always been. It is his hand that holds everything together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the first of those to be reborn from the dead. 
so that in every aspect, at every view, in everything, Jesus is first. The Christ is first. God was pleased that all his fullness should forever dwell in the Son, who was predetermined by God, who as predetermined by God, bled peace into the world by his death on the cross as God's means of reconciling to himself the whole creation, all things in heaven and all things on earth. He is the exact image of the invisible God. And he was before the beginning and will be after the end. You've probably heard it said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now. Can we just take a step back from what we really tend to believe as Christians? What is the standard theology that sort of pervades us? God's out there somewhere, like way out there. You know, we still hold on to the cosmology that was prevalent in Greek society, the Ptolemaic, uh, which essentially has the earth as the center of the universe, everything rotating around the earth, and then out there, just beyond the earth, is, you know, God. <laughs> you know, just beyond the planets, that's where God is. And when we need God, we've got to call God, God's got to come, you know, make an appearance, because God's out there. Well, that is just not what the Bible says. It's a nice way to think about God. And then we call God in for emergencies. Somebody's sick. I, I need you to come fix this. You know, hurricanes blowing up against the... Oh, Got to come fix this. God, come on, come on, come fix this. I need you right now. We even imagine God dwells outside of us so that we have to pray a special prayer to get God to come in to us. All that that special prayer does is recognize that God already is there. The best you can hope for when you bless your food is recognizing in yourself that it's already blessed because God's already in it. You're saying words don't make it blessed. You're saying words to invite God in doesn't get God in. God was already there. Your words simply recognize God's presence already there. You can choose to recognize God in the grass outside or not, but God's in the grass. God's not the grass, but God's in the grass. Now, I get a little irritated with that part of God because my grass grows and I have to cut it. Irritating is bad stuff. It has to happen, though, I guess. That's the way things work. God is in all things and has been since the beginning. Since before the beginning, God was plotting. Now, that sounds not so good, but planning. How's that? God imagined each one of you. I said that earlier. But I want you to take that in. God imagined each one of you as you are. This you, this unique moment, God imagined it from 14.6 billion years ago. We think God only became interested in the world 2,000 years back and popped in for a visit from out there. The first incarnations of God was the Big Bang. God began to become part of everything, this chair. All of you, me, this table, this podium thing that I don't ever have sitting next to me is distracting. 
God became a part of everything. That's the first incarnation. That incarnation came to fruition, came to fullness in the person of Jesus. But God was a part of it all for the 14.6 billion years before that. God's in everything. Now, because we didn't have the science to think about it that way, about three or four hundred years ago, the church and the scientific community sort of agreed to an unspoken truce. You scientists can deal with reality. We'll deal with God. That is stupid. <laughs> because God is reality. <laughs> but we didn't have language for that 400 years ago, and it was threatening to us. It was threatening to us because we couldn't, you know, we believed that the earth was the center of everything. When you start believing that it rotates around the sun, and the sun isn't the center of everything, the sun's rotating around in this one galaxy, and this is not the only galaxy, there are billions of galaxies, then it starts to freak you out. So, of course, we had trouble with it. If it freaks you out, it should. But God's big enough to take all that in. All that in. That's how big our God is. God doesn't have to just show up for emergencies. God's already in you. Whether you want to recognize it or not, that's your call. You get to call. You know what guard, God guards more than anything else? Your choice. Your choice to believe or not. God will not force himself down your throat. God will not do that. But God is already a part of everything. There is no place you can go that is so far or so high or so low or so dark or so bright that God isn't already there. I think it's time for us to rethink the way we see the universe and understand that God has to do with reality. God is the fabric, whatever you want to call it, the energy, the spirit, the connective force, the love that holds the whole thing together. Now that's a good theology. That's not a teeny tiny theology that's only interested in human beings. That's a, that's a theology that's interested in stars and black holes and neutrinos and, and everything else. All the way down to quarks. You know, God loves quarks. I don't even know what quarks look like. Or even if they really, really exist. God does. And God loves them. And God loves Mount Everest and everything in between. You know, when you think about a cell in your body, be with me for a moment that your whole person is actually so much larger than your cell that you compare favorably. Compared to Mount Everest, you are closer to the size of Mount Everest than you are to the size of a cell in your body. Because the size of magnitude of the cells in your body is a magnitude of six. And the magnitude to, is a magnitude of five between human beings and Mount Everest. You are closer to being the size of Mount Everest than you are to a cell in your body. That's, I think that's science. I mean, I, I, there are scientists here who can, uh, I, I got a thumbs up. The truth of it is, God is huge. And we matter. So does everything else. God's in everything, all the time, everywhere you go. And God wants you to experience.
experience that reality, not to miss out. Not to miss out. What Thomas Merton said to us was to be aware. You can choose not to be. But what if when you heard that metro train come in, or it was delayed and you had to stand longer on the platform, as is often the case when you ride the metro, what if that was just another opportunity to experience presence, to see what your neighbors look like? How are they dressed today? Not to judge whether they're dressed all. I wouldn't wear that, you know. Uh, but just to see the richness of the world in which we live, God wants us to swim in it all, knowing his love everywhere, all the time, in every moment. Who do you say that I am? You are the very fabric of all that is. That's who I say you are, Jesus. Everything is in you, and yet everything is not you. We are apart and separate from, and yet connected to all that is. And in this great big universe, God cares infinitely, infinitely about each one of you. Separately, each one of you matters. Now that's a theology I can embrace. That is a way of seeing the universe that draws me in, that makes me want to sing and dance, and I won't because I love you too much. Well, I probably will sing again, and Eric will help me, so that'll be good. <laughs> but let that sink in, and wherever you go this week, God and the real are not separate. They're interwoven and a part of all you will encounter. Everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God's in it all. And God loves you all. And you all, and me. Cause you're